Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. Happy Tuesday on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman. It's 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. We're with you until 10 o'clock. Should be a fun morning of sports discussion and frivolity here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. I always love some frivolity on a Tuesday. Frivolity is a great <laughs> thing, and it's really underutilized. Our world needs more frivolity. People need to have more fun. You know, we used to have a program director who would tell us every day on the radio, you should surprise and delight. Yeah. And I feel like that's under the same umbrella as frivolity. It really is. We need to surprise and delight. Matt Rocchio is here as well. Michelle, one thing, and we're going to talk about the Cardinals here in a moment, but we have an opportunity for folks to win a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village to celebrate the grand reopening of the Budweiser Brewhouse. It's St. Louis's iconic tap house and beer garden in the heart of Ballpark Village, and it returns on Friday, this Friday, the 18th, so you can head on over to Ballpark Park Village to watch NCAA action, and I think the Cardinals' first game is going to be televised, too. I'm not positive about that. Anyway, you can enjoy an exciting new menu, over 100 beers on tap, special appearances by Cardinals alumni, Fred Bird, live music, and more. We're giving away a $50 gift card to the Budweiser Brewhouse in Ballpark Village, and what people need to do is think about this starting now. We're going to give it away to the best take-it-or-leave-it entry coming up at 745 today. Yes, make them funny, make them difficult. You know, if you're giving frivolous. it frivolous is a good word, but if you're giving it, take it or leave it, make it something that we really have to marinate on. Yeah. That we really have to think about if we want to take it or leave it. Yep. That's coming up at 745. Plus, you can find a bonus chance to win that $50 gift card, another $50 gift card to Ballpark Village on the 101 mobile app or at 101ESPN.com. I mentioned in our last 30 seconds before we hit the air that the Cardinals have three more days of workouts before they play their first game on Friday. It's a quick turnaround for these boys because of the lockout and because of the truncated spring training. Randy, we haven't used truncated in a while. No, this is good. Our it's old a, pandemic yeah. cord is back. Right, yeah. So the, the truncated spring training and obviously not as much time to work out as the Cardinals or the rest of Major League Baseball would have liked. But you know what the good news is? Is all these guys show up in the best shape of their lives. Always, every year. Yeah. It's amazing. So they're physically yeah. ready. BSOL, best shape of life. Yeah, <laughs> best shape of life. Yeah, the, the, that's uh, that's a good term to the, use for the, spring training. The BFIB appreciates the BSOL. Yeah. Uh, Oliver Marmol, in your first spring as the Cardinals manager, how many of those guys are in the BSOL? Uh, yes, I, I have, and uh, we're excited about it. Um, the guys have been going at it. They've been working hard. Um, to their credit, I mean, they're in a position to, to start games pretty soon. Um, our veteran guys... Specifically, Goldie came up and he said, you have nothing to worry about. We're, we're ready to get this thing going. Um, so, yeah, everybody that you would expect to 
they're, they're doing a nice job. Yeah. And the question was, does he have a read on the condition that the Cardinals are in, how ready they are? And he said, uh, yes, I, I do. And that's good to know that their leadership, that Paul Goldschmidt came up and said, hey, you got nothing to worry about. Well, this is a team that's really hungry to go out there and apparently compete for a World Series championship, as, better? as Ali Marmol said earlier in spring training. But I think most of these guys, they know what they need to do to get their bodies ready. I'm more interested, Randy, in the young guys that spring training normally provides that time for some of these guys we might not be super aware of to make an impression. This is our chance to get one, some of these guys on our radar. Right. But with a truncated spring training, that opportunity isn't really there for some of these younger guys. So that's who I'm really curious about. Yeah, it's so different when you have 30 games in a normal spring training and 15 this year. Mm-hmm. People like Gorman, people like Nutabar, who already had a chance to make an impression last year, but Juan Yepes, the people that the Cardinals really haven't seen in game situations. The Cardinals management right now, Ali Marmol, Skip Schumacher, Jeff Albert, those guys haven't had that opportunity and they'll get less of an opportunity those young guys were because you want to get your veterans ready in games. And those veterans normally know how to take care of themselves physically. They probably have their trainers and maybe their nutritionist, their routine of how they prepare their body for spring training but that is another component of this that I find interesting is these young guys who maybe haven't found that rhythm yet, didn't have access to the staff, to the team trainers Mm -hmm. or to to people that they might use as counsel for things like that to help guide them along that that path in spring training. So that's another thing I'm going to be keeping an eye on, too. Yadier Molina will head into his last season as the Cardinal catcher. He has yet to report, but Marmol was asked what Yadi means to the Cardinals. I mean, it's, it's Yadi. It means a ton. This guy has uh, helped shape the culture of this place for a long time. When you talk about conviction and style of play, like that's Yadi. Um, and there's people that walk into a room and get noticed and then there's people that walk into a room and change the room yadi's the type that walks into a room and changes the room so um a lot of credit goes toward yadi and the way that he has shaped this organization over the last several years and the cardinals have a lot of eggs in the basket of a 38 year old catcher that's true but someone that you know is going to be ready you talk about a, a compete factor or a preparation factor yadi or molina could show up for the first inning of the game not even go to spring training and you know he's mm-hmm. going to be ready that's a guy you don't have to worry about but as far as what he means to the st louis cardinals yadi or molina is the st louis cardinals last year the cardinals and mike schilt were able somehow to convince Yachty that the best thing for him to do was play in fewer games. And Andrew Kisner had a chance to play in 40, and Yachty played in about 120. I hope Marmol has that sort of influence with Yachty, that when Yachty walks into the office and says, I'm ready to go, Marmol says, no, why don't you just take the day off and we'll give Kisner this game. It's going to be a particularly precarious situation because Yachty wants to play every game anyway. That's just how he's wired. But the Cardinals do need to find that pattern in order to get him rest so that he's ready, hopefully, for the playoffs when whenever that comes around. But if this is the final season of his career, he's not going to want to take a pitch off. He's going to want to soak in every possible moment that he can, knowing that the end may be around the corner. Well, he'll be playing every home game, too. The Cardinals are going to have to find those 40 games on the road Yes, great point. for, for him to not play. Meanwhile, Adam Wainwright is in camp. He's in shape. He's ready to go. What does Waino mean to the new Cardinals skipper? He means a ton to me. Um, Waino's been a good friend and someone that has, just like Yachty, shaped the culture of what we do here. Um, Not only with our pitchers, with our position players and the attention to detail. And um, he's just a teacher. Uh, He's really good at it. So um, he's one of those guys, when he needs to speak, he speaks. And 
if you just watch him, um, you understand that he does things different than most. And it's a beautiful thing to watch our young guys sit there and watch them do something as simple as a PFP and realize, and that looks different than the way I do it. The attention to the detail is different. He, he acts like there's actually runners on, like there's just this intensity and conviction to his process that is um, hard to match. And our challenge to that group in there today is match it, match it. And I hope that was vocalized by Ali Marmol to Flaherty, Michaelis, Hudson, Matts, the young Cardinal starters, Libertor, Zach Thompson, to watch and match with Wainwright. I'm sure it has been vocalized, but sometimes things don't even need to be said. When Adam Wainwright steps into the room, just like Ali Marmol was talking mm-hmm. about, Yadi Merlinas, some people change the tone of a room. When Adam Wainwright steps into a room, you know that you need to match that energy. Unless you're Carlos Martinez. Yeah, well, not everyone has the same approach, Randy. I guess you're right. That's a fair counter. (laughs) The Cardinals' Pobo, John Mozeliak, on the Cardinals' roster right now. I think like rosters are still pretty fluid. I mean, there's a lot going on in the game. Um, I'm sure your phone will indicate that. And so, like, I mean, for us, it's you know going to still be paying attention to that. And you know, are there some things that we may still try to do? Yes. Will we accomplish them? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It seems like the it's kind of like the first day of NFL free agency yesterday. The Cardinals weren't in early. They weren't obviously very vigorous in their pursuit of free agents. But Kyle Schwarber is still sitting out there, Michelle. There are still some hitters out there. Nelson Cruz got taken by the Nationals. But maybe the Cardinals are in on some guys. And as Mo would say, maybe they'll surprise us. Maybe they will. And I know that Mo has verbally shut the door on Trevor Story and the shortstop market. But until he lands somewhere, until we see the market completely settle, I don't know. I just imagine that John Mozeliak's phone might be ringing or he might be searching out there for other options. We'll see. He might... Sorry about that. I was going to say, maybe Mo will surprise and delight. That would be great if Mo would surprise and delight. He's, He's capable of it. I hope we surprise people and make them happy. Would that make you happy, Trevor it, Story? No. It doesn't make any difference. It, would, it wouldn't move you on the emotional Richter scale at all? Well, I would like that the Cardinals signed a guy, but I would hate that they wasted their money on him. Trevor Story's Bush Stadium splits aren't great. I don't know that Trevor, uh, getting a right-handed hitting shortstop, yeah, he would he be an upgrade, slight upgrade, yeah. But I'd rather, if you give me the choice between he and Schwarber, I'd rather have the left-handed hitting DH. Cardinals don't have a left-handed hitter. They Obviously, they have the the switch hitters in Edmund and Carlson, but Harrison Bader's a right-handed hitter. Tyler O'Neill's a right-handed hitter. Arenado, DeYoung, Sosa, uh, Goldie, Yachty. They need a left-handed bat in the middle of their lineup, Matt. I kind of have an early take it or leave it, which is the, the Cardinals are going to surprise some people, but it's not going to be a happy one. <laughs> surprise and delight. Now, one one group of fans that is really conflicted this morning is Braves fans mm. because they made a big trade for Matt Olson, who had a magnificent year for the A's, 39 homers, more than 100 RBIs, 560 slug. They get Matt Olson, but that means Freddie Freeman isn't coming back. Which 
that's very hard to swallow as a fan base. You're excited that there's movement. It kind of reminds me of when Alex Petrangelo was mm-hmm. leaving and the Blues went out and they got Tory Krug. You knew that Doug Armstrong was being active and he was finding someone that was going to hopefully make the team better. But that's your guy. That's your captain. That's the guy that brought a Stanley Cup championship to your city. This is Freddie Freeman is Atlanta. He is, he's yep. their guy. That's got to be a very tough thing to swallow but knowing you, that he's gone. If you do a blind taste test of Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson, and you don't know the names and you say, okay, I've got a 32 year old guy and a 27 year old guy last year. And last year, the 32 the year old guy had one of his best years with an 896 OPS, a 503 slug. And he hit uh, 31 homers and 83 RBIs, but the 27-year-old last year had an OPS of 859 and went 39 and 111. You're going to take the 27-year-old. Sure, you could say that, but to the fan who's wearing the Freddie Freeman jersey and buying tickets, are they really going to think about it that way? Or are they going to think about the emotional pull? That's the thing. Are you rooting for the laundry or the guy? I think sometimes it's both. I think it is, but if you if you want to win again. Then Matt Olson gives you a much better trajectory at the age of 27 with better production than Freddie Freeman does. Did you see the video of Alex Anthopoulos being asked about this? Mm-hmm. And he, was, he was crying. Yeah. I mean, that just shows you how much Freddie Freeman meant to that organization. Right. So Freddie Freeman probably winds up, he's from California, probably winds up with the Dodgers. The Reds in the last 24 hours plus have traded away Sonny Gray to the Twins. Yesterday, Jesse Winker and A. Eugenio Suarez to the Mariners. And Michelle, this year for the 2022 baseball season, the sixth highest player, paid player on the Reds payroll will be Ken Griffey Jr., At $3.59 million. Unreal. (laughs) Randy, uh, early take it or leave it for me. Free Joey Votto. Oh, yeah. And he's making his 25. He's not going to. He's his era's Tony Gwynn, although he's never going to play in a World Series. But Tony Gwynn, I asked him one time when there were rumors about him coming here. I said, why aren't you a Cardinal? Because there were all kinds of rumors. He said, man. I'm just a padre because <laughs> he was from San Diego and yeah. he grew up in that organization. I think that's Joey Votto. I think Joey Votto is just a red. He is, but for so- we we see the Reds a lot. Obviously, he's a player that I will always have so much appreciation and respect for. Mm-hmm. I want to see him get to the promised land. I want to see Joey Votto get in a situation where he can win, and that's not yep. going to happen in Cincinnati. Meanwhile, the Cubs had taken themselves out of the Carlos Correa and. Uh, Trevor Story market by signing Andrelton Simmons. Yesterday, the Yankees did the same by acquiring Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner-Falifa from the Twins in exchange for catcher Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. And so where is the landing spot for Correa? Is it back in Houston? Seems like it. I don't, I don't know where Correa goes. And Trevor Story to the Twins, maybe? There's, there's going to be somebody who's going to not have a chair when the music ends and one team is going to get a better deal than they thought they were going to get. It's also interesting that the Cardinals position in the division got better yesterday and they did nothing. Right. Oh yeah. 
And based yeah. on what you're seeing around the division, don't you think that that would make John Mozalek and the Cardinals front office want to go for it even more? You'd think so. You'd hope so. You would think that they would look yeah. around at the landscape and say, this was our year to go for it anyway. We like our core. But look at everybody else. We could run away with this thing. And a couple of more quick notes. Fernando Tatis out three months with a broken wrist. He couldn't contact the team during the lockout. Adam Wainwright talked about that with us, mm-hmm. how he couldn't talk to team doctors or trainers. And the same thing happened with Tatis after a motorcycle accident. Asked yesterday when his motorcycle accident occurred. He said, which one? I saw that and I cringed. I went, ooh, <laughs> even if that's the case, you don't say that. No. That's not going to make your organization or your fan base feel great today. No. And a lot of signings in the NFL, and we're going to get to those as the show unfolds today. But coming up, where do you stand on the Cardinals pursuing Albert Pujols? They have been, obviously, connected with him, but would you be on board with the Cardinals signing him? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We now have the designated hitter in the National League. Albert Pujols is a free agent, and Michelle last year against left-handed pitching, Albert hit 294 with a 939 OPS. He had 13 homers and 34 RBIs in 146 plate appearances against lefties. So there is a lot of hope, speculation that the Cardinals might sign Albert Pujols as. 26th guy on the roster as a right-handed hitting designated hitter or pinch hitter, maybe a first baseman on a couple of days when Paul Goldschmidt is the DH. And we want to have people weigh in. You can send us a mic drop with the 101 ESPN app, or you can text us 65780. Where do you stand on the Cardinals signing Albert Pujols? I am not a big advocate. I, I don't think that you're giving your team the best chance to win, which is what I'm all about this year. Mm-hmm. If it's Alberts and not somebody else, taking nothing away from Albert's abilities as a right-handed hitter against left-handers, I just think that you need a more substantial player than a guy who is a right-handed hitting DH. You would prefer a Kyle Schwarber or a Jack mm-hmm. Peterson, someone that you feel like when called upon in that spot in, in the game, they're going to step up and you have more of a proven track record recently. Recently, But the thing about Albert Pujols, Randy, is I, I kind of keep oscillating back and forth here because on one hand, I'm with you. Is it the very best baseball decision that the Cardinals could make to put them in a position to win a World Series? Probably not. But then I see these pictures of Albert Pujols and it looks like he slimmed down a bit, that he's gotten into shape. And you start to remember all the times where Albert defied the odds when he was the person that was called upon in the big moments and he delivered time and time again. He's a singular player for so many Cardinals fans. And I think about this being Wayno and Yachty's last ride and how fun it's going to be to watch them go after the all-time battery record and how special that's going to be every time those two go out mm-hmm. there and take the mound and Wayno takes the mound and Yachty's behind the dish. And I think about what that would be like for Albert Pujols, who's 21 home runs away from 700. He would round up the Mount Rushmore of people in baseball that's ever been able to do this. It would be Bonds, Aaron, Ruth, Pujols. Think about every time Albert Pujols hit a home run here in St. Louis, what it would be like at Bush Stadium. It would be magical. We would absolutely love it. Now, the problem 
is, is, is he physically there? Are we going to see that a lot? Or are we going to have a, a different version of what Matt Carpenter was last year? A player that you've seen at their peak not be able to do it again. And that's heartbreaking for a lot of fans. So that's where I go back and forth on it. Because if it were to play out correctly, it would be one of the best things that we've ever seen. A reunion with Albert here in St. Louis going after history, going after another World Series champion mm-hmm. championship with his hermanos and Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. One true last dance, but on the other side of that coin, it could be really bad. It could be really, really well, bad. And from a business perspective, at the end of the game, it looks bad, but before the game, when you sell a bunch of tickets, it looks really good. But from a baseball perspective, I just don't think it makes sense. And by the way, when Mo and Bill DeWitt and Oliver Marmol met with the media on Friday, Bill DeWitt was asked about a reunion with Pujols, and he said, Mo and I haven't talked much about the team, to be honest, but we've got most of our club pretty well set. And Michelle, if I am going to go out and get a free agent, we've mentioned Schwarber, but you could even go, let's use that same blind taste test that we used with Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson. Would you rather have a guy that overall last year hit 258 with a 724 OPS, had 10 homers and 50 RBIs in uh, 359 plate appearances, and uh, in addition to that is a left-handed hitter? I would. And that's Colin Moran, the former mm-hmm. Pirate. I, I would rather, from a baseball standpoint, have Colin Moran on my team or Schwarber than Albert Pools. Well, what about all of the other things that Albert brings to your organization that you can't quantify on a stat sheet? What about his baseball knowledge? He's one of the smartest baseball mm-hmm. people you've ever seen in your life. And you have this young crop of players, whether it's the outfielders or someone like a Nolan Gorman or a Juan Yepes. Think about what Albert could provide for your clubhouse from a cachet standpoint, from a mentorship standpoint, from just a baseball standpoint. Mike Trout and so many other players talk about the invaluable experience that they got from being in a clubhouse or in a dugout with Albert Pujols. I'm sure that's something that the Cardinals would weigh as well. And I I wonder if they would weigh it in the terms of, well, we want it to be our way. We've got Jeff Albert in place. We're really, really smart. We don't need somebody interfering with what Jeff Albert does. Don't you think... Knowing the way they operate, that that would be part of their thought process. But I would look at it in a different light. I would look at it as we have a rookie manager who's coming in who's going to have to calibrate. That's just what Mm -hmm. happens when you have a new job. You could be the best rookie manager that's ever existed, and you're still going to have days where something is thrown at you that you're unprepared for it, and you're going to learn on the fly. But what better... A situation for Ali Marmol to be in, to have somebody like Albert Pujols that could come in and help him be a mouthpiece to some of these younger players to help get that messaging across. This is something the Cardinals have talked about a lot, that there maybe haven't been the right voices to help this information that Jeff Albert and some of the the analytics crew is trying to get to these young players or even some of the veteran players. Matt Carpenter talked about it as well. If Albert Pujols tells me that I need to pay attention to something, yeah. if Albert Pujols, one of the greatest hitters to ever play this game, tells me, if you take this approach, it's going to benefit you, guess what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm going to listen to the machine. Right. More <laughs> than the coach. Tons of texts, and we do appreciate it. 65780. Uh, if Albert was left-handed, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. He'd already be in camp. I don't think there's any doubt that if he were at the right price, that would be the case. I would have been fine with Albert coming back. This from the 870. I would have been fine with Albert coming back last year, but I'm not okay with him piggybacking on Wayno and Yachty's last season farewell tour. I appreciate what he did, but he left and Yachty and Wayno didn't. I understand that. I really do. 
But I think that we say that and there was a lot of hurt feelings when Albert left. And for some people, those wounds have not healed. And I think we say that. But then look at what happens when he comes back to Bush Stadium, whether it was with the mm-hmm. Dodgers or with the Angels. We forget all about that. And I think halfway through the season, if he's on a tear and he's hitting home runs and he's getting closer to 700, you're not going to be thinking, well, he left and Wayno and Yachty stayed. You're going to be thinking, this is one of the greatest things I've ever experienced as a Cardinals fan, getting to experience this last ride with all three of them. And perhaps the biggest problem that we could run into is the hope that a 42-year-old player would get on a tear. (laughs) But that's because we're nostalgic about baseball and romantic about baseball. And I look, it's the Tom Brady effect. Look at what Tom Brady's doing into his 40s. Look at what Adam Wainwright is doing at age 40. I think we're seeing so many players execute at an elite level well into what should be the moonlight of their careers that we just are kind of programmed to look at age a little differently, yeah. and that's a mistake. You're right. That, that is a mistake. <laughs> Especially because those guys are clearly in outstanding physical condition, and the most recent we've seen of Albert, now there's a photo of him with Edwin Encarnacion where he looks great, but the last we've seen of Albert on a baseball field, he was not to a Tom Brady or Adam Wainwright level physically. No, we saw a photo of him, a still photo. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen him run. We haven't right. seen what he looks like when he moves, That which is a different story. But I do understand why so many Cardinals fans are conflicted on this because I'm conflicted on it. It's a very difficult decision to make. And if you're Mr. DeWitt and you have the opportunity to potentially bring home a franchise icon who's going after the most elite space in baseball history after a pandemic and after a lockout when people aren't coming to the ballpark and the manner in which they used to, that's a difficult thing to walk away from. Be a lot of money. Be a lot of ticket sales. You're right. And it it could be history, too, which is something the Cardinals really cherish more than maybe any other organization in sports. Tradition meets today. It's true. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got four downs from a busy NFL on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Congratulations to the John Burroughs product, Foye Luigan. He's a really good linebacker. Went to school with Ezekiel Elliott at Burroughs. Both really good players, and he cashes in now with his NFL career. So good for him. Always love to see St. Louis kids winning. And on 314 day, right? Yeah, right. Pretty awesome. All right, time for four downs. First down. All right, Michelle, even though the Broncos acquired Russell Wilson, the team that has made the biggest moves and gotten the closest to the Super Bowl in the AFC West is the Chargers. Mm -hmm. On offense, they needed to keep wide receiver Mike Williams, and they did with a big contract. Last year, the Chargers were 27th in the league in sacks with just 31, despite having Joey Bosa. So what do they do? They go out and get pass rusher extraordinaire Khalil Mack from the Bears. But they weren't done. The Chargers had 15 interceptions last year with the Patriots. Cornerback J.C. Jackson, the self-anointed Mr. INT, was second in the NFL with eight. Chargers had 15. J.C. Jackson himself had eight. Well, the Chargers signed him as an $82.5 million free agent yesterday. Then they added defensive tackle Austin Johnson from the Giants. Their coach, Brandon Staley, is a defensive mind. Look out for the Chargers in the AFC West. And if you are Derek Carr, if you are Russell Wilson, if you are Patrick Mahomes, beware. 
The Chargers are a team that could be very, very dangerous. Justin Herbert is a, an absolute stud. When you're ranking quarterbacks in the AFC, though, it's going to be very difficult to put together that list of power rankings. But when you put Justin Herbert maybe in the top three? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he's he not only is he great, but he's getting better. Second down. Second down. Second down. There we go. I'm distracted because we don't have our NFL music. Yeah, we're going to have that in a moment. Okay, okay. Should I wait for it? Should I hold on? Or, yeah, just, or should I it'll, start it'll, my second down? There uh, we go. It just hits different when the NFL music is there, doesn't it? It sure does. Okay, let's get that second re- down again. I relabel some things here. Let's get that second down again. Second down. Okay, I didn't sleep last night. I wrote this in the middle of the night. For so you. will it be corny? Yes. Will it make you laugh? Maybe. Stay tuned. Randy, have you spent time in Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Maybe you've been to Philly. Maybe you've been to Happy Valley. What about Mitchburg? You ever been to Mitchburg? Not yet. Well, that's right. Pittsburgh is now going to be Mitchburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, corny, but maybe you'll laugh. Because Mitchell Trubisky is headed to the City of Bridges. Yes, it's called that because I Googled nicknames for Pittsburgh in the middle of the night. Anyway. Did they give you Blitzburg, too? <laughs> Blitzburg was there. <laughs> and hopefully it's not Blitzburg for Mitch. Anyway, it hasn't been a linear path to success for old Mitch. Mitch Mitchell's still unsure of what I should call him, but we're going with Mitch for this exercise. Trubisky was the second overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft. He started 50 games in his four seasons with the Chicago Bears, finishing with a 29-21 and record. Now, we know it was an up-and-down career with the Bears for Trubisky. There were highs, like when he made the Pro Bowl in 2018, and lows, like the time that he was benched by Matt Nagy in 2020. And you might put almost every other game in between in that category, but that's what happens when you're picked that high and you don't transform a franchise, fairly or unfairly. That's the label that you get. But failure may have been the best thing for Mitch Trubisky because it got him out of a toxic situation in Chicago rerouted him to Buffalo where he spent last season as the backup quarterback for the Bills. He got to play behind one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league and a thriving young star in Josh Allen. Learn from quarterbacks coach Ken Dorsey and OC Brian Dayball. See what a winning organization and culture looks like and perhaps perhaps most importantly Randy get his confidence back. You may remember this quote from Trubisky in February. He said going to Buffalo really opened my eyes. Being there and having a different way of doing things you learn what's possible. It helped me get back to instinctual football and using my talents rather than overthinking. And the Bills brass, they were high on Trubisky too. I love this new landing spot for him. He's in as stable of an organization in Pittsburgh as they come with one of the best coaches this league has ever seen in Mike Tomlin and he doesn't have too much competition in Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. If Trubisky can turn into the guy we all projected him to be, that two-year $14 million contract could end up being a steal for the Steelers. Michelle, this has a chance, and people are picking Pittsburgh because of Trubisky to finish last in that division. They have a great chance to win that division. They have a terrific defense. They have a great young receiver, a rookie last year in Deontay Johnson. Their number two receiver, Chase Claypool, is terrific. Pat Freermuth turned into a stud, Pro Bowl-quality tight end last year. They've got Najee Harris in the backfield to hand off to. And they've got $23 million in cap space, and they have cachet in the draft to fix their offensive line. No organization does it better in terms of rebuilding and reloading than the Pittsburgh Steelers do. And if Mitch Trubisky leads the Steelers to the AFC North Championship next year, we said it here on March 15th, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Third down. 
All right, Michelle, in Jacksonville, Shad Khan has been a bad owner for the Jags, and their personnel moves have been abysmal. You'll remember that in 2017, they had six Pro Bowlers on defense when they went to the AFC Championship game, and three years later, all six of those Pro Bowlers were gone. Well, it seems with Doug Peterson as head coach, they kind of figured things out. Trevor Lawrence was sacked 32 times, so in addition to franchising their really good left tackle, Cam Robinson, they signed Brandon Scherf yesterday. They needed a slot receiver, so they overpaid for Christian Kirk of the Cardinals. With Kirk and the return of Travis Etienne, they're going to have some big-time fast playmakers for Lawrence to get the ball to. They still haven't bounced back from losing all those Pro Bowl defenders, but at least with Peterson, it looks like they're on the right track in Jacksonville. At least they're making moves and going for it. Yeah, and they're doing things that a Super Bowl champion coach understands Mm -hmm. need to be done to get better. Are they going to win the Super Bowl next year? No, they might not even contend in the AFC South, but they will be a lot better than they were under Urban Meyer, who just didn't get it in the NFL. Fourth down. Randy, with Easter around the corner, it got me thinking. Some of us are going through the season of Lent right now. For those who don't observe, it's when Christians reflect and prepare for 40 days leading up to Easter. It's a time of sacrifice. It's a time of withdrawal. But like most things in life, Tom Brady is ahead of the curve because he already had 40 days of removing the thing he loves the most from his life. And like another story we tell around Easter, we thought Tom Brady was done, but he has risen again. Too much, maybe, but there are some parallels here, so stick with me. Tom Brady ruined Selection Sunday, announcing his return to the NFL, stating he had, quote, unfinished business. What exactly is unfinished, Tom? Bro, you have seven Super Bowls, five Super Bowl MVPs, three regular season MVPs, 15 Pro Bowls, and I don't have enough time in this segment left to go over all the records and career totals, but you're considered the greatest to ever do this in the hardest position in sports. There's nothing unfinished about your career, except that you still have stuff left in the tank. You led the NFL in in just about every major statistical category last season. You were in the MVP conversation yet again, and you were seconds away from beating the inevitable Super Bowl champion Rams in the playoff. He still got it. So why did he ever pretend to want to walk away? Well, maybe it's because he didn't know if the team could be in a position to win again. He didn't know if they could retain all of their talent in Tampa Bay and truly run it back. Center Ryan Jensen is back. Chris Godwin got the franchise tag. Carlton Davis is back. But the list of to-dos is still long. Gronk, Jordan Whitehead, Leonard Fournette, William Golston, and Dominican Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul. A lot of things left on the docket for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they were able to return all 22 starters from their Super Bowl run for last year's team. But this time, they probably won't be able to bring back everybody. But you know, with TB12 back in the fold, that the Bucs will once again be going for it. ESPN's Mike Tannenbaum says the Bucs' window to win is still open. No, I think they're right there. And I think by the end of the week, they'll get better. And I think Green Bay gets worse. And I think it'll be them and the Rams competing. Because, look, Alex Scott is a good player, but that's not going to be the reason they go or don't go to a Super Bowl. And Tom Brady creates an aura of association. Takes someone like Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry can replace the Antonio Brown role. And players will want to go there on one-year deals because they feel like they have a chance to win a championship. Michelle, you and I are nearly 100% in lockstep here. But my question would be, if Brady is the comp for the big guy, could Brady do his job with holes in his hands? Probably. <laughs> I don't want to try it with a quarterback. He is defying all odds physically. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, they would heal in a hurry, wouldn't they? Brady, maybe that that's a little bit too much over the line. I, I pushed it. I pushed it with the parallels. I think you're stepping over the line. I bet he's got that fish diet down. Yeah, probably. Now... To, to be honest with you, 
Brady has been great over the years. Kurt Warner turned water into wine. <laughs> Did he? The 1999 St. Louis Rams. Cover Sports Illustrated. Who is this guy? <laughs> now we know. <laughs> <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's Four Downs on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you need to have the best Teoli of the day to win a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village. Take it or leave it coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it. Or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Carriker and Smallman and Take It or Leave It in your opportunity to get a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village. With the Budweiser Brewhouse reopening, we want to provide you a $50 gift card so you can get it by having the best take-it-or-leave-it text to 65780 during this segment. Plus, you can find a bonus chance to win a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village on the 101 ESPN mobile app or at 101ESPN.com. Michelle, the NFL's league year starts Thursday, the 17th. And already, before the league year started, Russell Wilson has been traded, Khalil Mack has been traded, Christian Kirk has been signed, J.C. Jackson has been signed, Charvarius Ward has been signed. Take it or leave it. As much as St. Louis might hate the NFL, nobody does a better job of manufacturing news year-round than the National Football League. I will take that. They have upstaged everything. Baseball returning. Guess what? We don't care because Aaron Rodgers is staying. Russell Wilson is on the move. Selection Sunday, March Madness. One of the most unifying things on the sports calendar. No one cares. Tom Brady's returning. It's unbelievable. They they somehow find a way to trump everything. And you have always referred to the NBA as a great soap opera. And that's what the NFL is. The Aaron Rodgers soap opera. The Russell Wilson soap opera. The things that are the Tom Brady soap opera. Mm-hmm. It's all real life reality TV. It's spectacular. It is. And the product on the field, especially this past season in the playoffs, has matched the drama that Mm -hmm. happens off the field with the transactions and the movement. But the thing about the NFL, Randy, is when you look at other sports, you would think that baseball would be the soap opera because there's so many games and storylines change day Mm -hmm. to day. But I think with the NFL, what they have that all the other sports don't have is they only have one game a week per team, Mm -hmm. which means that the storylines build and they build and there's this big crescendo. So we're talking and talking and talking about them leading up to one specific game that matters more. Whereas with baseball, the storylines change so much that we're kind of like, "Mm." And with this... And by the way, the league year is tomorrow at 3 o'clock St. Louis. I was thinking it was at midnight, but it's 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. With the NFL... They understand that sports fans in America like the transaction more than the action. And they they look at the NBA and they say, look what they do with free agency. So they institute 
the biggest oxymoron in sports, the the legal tra- tampering period. The three-day legal tampering yeah. period so the free agents can sign and you get the whole week to talk about it. Ridiculous. Well, Randy, we know that some businesses have taken some actions in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And one of those businesses is McDonald's, which said that it was going to shutter its stores in the country as a response. Well, a Russian man, not too pleased with this. His name is Luka Safranov, and he actually chained himself to the McDonald's in protest of them closing. He said, closing down is an act of hostility against me and my fellow citizens. Take it or leave it. You would do that with Quick Trip if they decided to shut down. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, if, if something was happening and somebody decided to cut to uh, shut down the old QT, yeah, I, I, I would chain myself and I would say, hey, How long will it take or how long will I be here as long as it takes? For some people, McDonald's is part of their daily routine, whether it's going through the drive-thru, getting your coffee every day. Maybe our boy Luca needs to have his Big Mac. He's 400 pounds, by the way. Yeah, what's in the documentary, the uh, McDonald's documentary? Oh, um, Supersize Me? There you go. Bingo. Thank you, Matt. Supersize Me. That is troubling. But I I think about my daily routine, and that's coffee. Mm -hmm. And if, if coffee was taken from me, I might chain myself to a Caldi's or a Starbucks or something. Maybe McDonald's will end a war. You never know. You never know. The question is, Randy, which QT are you going to chain yourself to? Well, I would probably go to the uh, the Lackland location, Matthew, uh, over here in Maryland Heights. I've actually become a devotee of my friends at Mobile on the Run. Wow. My manager Mike up here at Olive and Schulte and uh, Mobile on the Run. They do great work and I love them. It's new. It's clean. It's great. Well run. Nice people. Not that the Q Quick Trip isn't. The other place is just more convenient for me. And Quick Trip got rid of their credit card, and I, I was able to get a mobile credit card. When Quick Trip got rid of their uh, credit card, that was a game changer for me. Do both of these spots have the pebble ice, though, is the real question. I, I'm a cubed ice guy. You're a cube. Yeah, ice small cube. Guy. By the way, did you see our Whoa. massive no new floor. ice cube machine in the... Uh, kitchen area? No, I haven't been in there yet. We have a massive new industrial ice machine which is spectacular. Also, Michelle should be the happiest person in the world because the cappuccino's coming. That's right. Uh, Call these coffee in the break room. What shape is the ice in the break room? Cubes. Very nice. Okay. See, I love the pebble ice. Uh, I'm not a a crushed ice guy. I'm a a cube guy all the way. It melts too fast. I I like to uh, have it in my mouth and melt in my mouth. All right, what do we have? Let's pick out a couple of winners here. 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, as uh, the best Teoli today gets a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village. I like this one. It's a a swing for the fence, that's for sure. Take it or leave it. Albert will come back, and when the Cardinals win the World Series, a new The Last Dance will be made that helps save baseball post-lockout. Going to have to leave that. I'll leave it, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. That ain't going to (laughs) happen. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals pitching does well most of the season, but runs out of gas because there's too many innings in September. Well, uh, there's so many question marks with the pitching that that's really hard. I think that's a very hard Tioli. Um, But if last year taught us anything is that we thought they had a lot of depth and mm-hmm. it was not it was not enough yeah. depth. And if they're wearing down, Mo will go get somebody yeah, at the deadline he like so. he did last year. He, they went and got Wade LeBlanc. They got McFarland. They got... Uh, didn't they get another reliever? Beside, and then obviously the two starters. Seems like they added another reliever too. So they'll go out and get guys during the season. Take it or leave it. Oh, it was Luis Garcia. Mm, there you go. Take it or leave it. We very well could have had a cup and won the World Series if Army ran the Cardinals and Mo ran the Blues in 2019. Army would have added pitching and Mo would have would have had the patience and done nothing for the before the Blues went on their eventual run. I'm going to leave that. 
Which portion are you leaving? All of it? The blue still winner is the Cardinals. guy and Army's hockey guy. Yeah. But Army would definitely be more aggressive, no? Yeah, he absolutely would. Which I think is something Cardinals fans really want, especially around the trade deadline, yeah. is for Mo to be a little bit more active. The thing is, I wonder if with the analytics bent that baseball is on and numbers being attached so closely to baseball players, I wonder if Army could pull off the steals like he does in hockey in baseball. Probably not. I think it might be a little bit more difficult. I still can't believe he's able to pull off the things he pulls off in hockey. No. That was one of two different teolies we got about Army and Mo switching jobs, by the way. <laughs> kind of kind of a crazy mind meld there uh, with the listeners. Take it or leave it. Tyler O'Neill is healthy for the entire year and hits more than 40 home runs. Leave it. What do you, when you again, have that many muscles, percent? you can't stay healthy for six months. If you're running and playing baseball, you can't stay healthy for six months. You can't pull fat. You cannot. And he doesn't have any. His body fat is probably at like 0.1%. Yeah. If if it is like if that point one is there. I would love to know what his body fat percentage is. We'll have to ask him. Yeah. I'm sure he knows. Oh, I'm I'm sure. He's definitely aware. He's probably I wonder what so have you ever seen like what the rock eats in a day? He, no. There there's all these YouTube videos out there that showcase what the rock has to eat every day. He's eating all that it's kind of like Michael Phelps where he's putting in so much so many calories every day. His caloric intake is through the roof because of the workouts. That is he the food does. good? Sometimes, but it's mostly lean protein. But he does yeah. have one big cheat meal a week, I believe. But it's usually like protein pancakes okay. or something. It's not even yeah. that big of a cheat meal. But anyway, I wonder. I bet Tyler O'Neill's day looks like that, and I wonder what his eating routine is like. He probably wakes up. I imagine a lot of eggs, protein shake, probably some lean meat for lunch and dinner. I mean, he's he's to get all that muscle. He's got to eat a lot of protein. You know what's sad about that is that. The 400-pound Russian at McDonald's and Tyler O'Neill are both going to die. So you're saying that the the Russian man who chained himself to a McDonald's, at he's least he's en- enjoying his food? Yes, he is. But maybe Tyler O'Neill is eating delicious turkey burgers that he loves. Maybe he's not a fry guy. Everybody's a fry person, Michelle. Everybody. <laughs> They just have to learn it. 65780 if you don't like French fries. I would love to know if there's someone listening that doesn't like French fries. There is nobody that doesn't like French fries. So we we talked about people that we don't trust last week. I don't (laughs) trust people that work out without music. I don't trust people that drink decaf coffee. Mm -hmm. If you're not a fry person, I don't trust you either. There's nobody that doesn't doesn't like fries. It just doesn't exist. Can you imagine you're dating someone and you really like them and you go to a burger joint <laughs> and they're like nah that's like going to be a no for me dog on the fries I don't like french fries it's a game changer it's, like, it's, it's a game ender is this a serial killer or what's going on right so even if you're sweet potato fries okay but if you don't like fries at all some might argue that sweet potato fries are the best fries they are really really good if you get them at the right place ha- have you ever done this? A sweet potato waffle fry dipped in ranch oh buddy mm. we were in Canton and we had those sweet potato tots those were really, really good. Oh, there's uh, Aaron Rodgers with his new deal. Three years, $150 million. It's not the four-year 200 Wow. And he's he, apparently, well, I don't know if he signed it. It says on ESPN that he's agreed to it. So three years, $150 mil for A-Rod. All right, Matt. Take it or leave it. Teams like the Reds shouldn't receive any revenue sharing if they're not going to try to compete. I'll take it. I'll take that, too. Isn't that what we were talking about for months leading yeah. up to this? If, if teams aren't going to go for it, there should be financial penalties for but it. But if you're the Cardinals... 
and you're paying into revenue sharing and you're essentially buying wins. Pirates and Reds aren't trying and they're getting revenue sharing. If you want to compete, if it's not all about the money and you want to try to win games, then that's a good thing to have that, those teams in your division. Take it or leave it. You get one of the two. Albert signs and gets the 700 home runs or Wayno and Yachty get the, all, get the battery record. I'm going to take the battery record. So will I. Ooh. I'm very invested in that. They've very been here. invested yeah, in they, that. They haven't left. They've been here throughout. They All of their milestones have been reached as members of the Cardinals. And it's two franchise icons that yeah. would be doing something together rather than one. And I don't think that the battery record will ever be broken. No, it will not. And with the way people are hitting home runs today, maybe someone gets into the conversation for 700 one day. But I just think it would be so special yeah. to have Wayno and Yachty be in at, at that portion of baseball history, knowing that it'll never be touched. Yeah. And Albert's not getting to 762. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. We'll review and uh, figure out who had the best Tioli today. Coming up, with the Cardinals having a, a rookie manager, shouldn't they give him a foolproof roster? That's coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. 806 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, the world champion Braves last year saw all of their outfielders get hurt or get in trouble and not be available. So at the trade deadline, they went out and they got their manager, Brian Snitker, Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson was part of the group, Eddie Rosario was part of the group. They got him actually more players than he needed. The same has happened with the Dodgers over the years. LA has done a really good job of low up their roster for their manager, Dave Roberts, who's a veteran manager and does a really good job. But when you look at what he had in terms of relief pitchers, a veteran, Blake Tynan, a veteran closer in Kenley Jansen, Joe Kelly, who had come from the world champion Red Sox, Victor Gonzalez, who's been around the block, David Price was in their bullpen. Uh, they get a, a kid like Brewster Gratterall from the, the Twins and it's essentially a foolproof bullpen. You look at the way the White Sox are building now. Michelle, it's incredible. They've got a Hall of Famer in Craig Kimbrell, and he's going to be their eighth inning guy, if he's even that, behind Liam Hendricks, who was the reliever of the year last year in the American League. They also added Joe Kelly over the course of the weekend. They added Kendall Graveman. And I look at the Cardinals, especially now with the news that Alex Reyes has shoulder injury, and I wonder why with a rookie manager, I mean, we're talking about Brian Snicker, veteran manager, Dave Roberts, good veteran manager, Tony LaRusso, veteran manager. Why wouldn't the Cardinals do everything they could to provide Oliver Marmol with a bullpen that he can't make mistakes with? Randy, they went out and got Drew Verhagen and Nick, Whit- Nick Whitman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nick Wickren. Wickren. And I call, I, uh, I, I call Drew Verhagen Chris Vanderha. He, he was like an old Cardinal owner. So, yeah, exactly. We're not not talking Joe Kelly here. We're, we're not talking Archie Bradley here. We're not talking Adam Adovino here, people that are brand names. We're talking about guys that are essentially rolls of the dice. We're talking about 
Ian Kennedy getting $4 million and Nick Wickering getting $1.2 million. And we mentioned yesterday, it's low-hanging fruit for the Cardinals. And I think it's a real disservice to Oliver Marmol. Now, maybe his guys will work out great. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, the Cardinal bullpen lags behind a lot of bullpens in the National League. And if Marmol goes to this group, he can easily make a mistake. Whereas a lot of bullpens are built so that a manager, especially a rookie, can't make a mistake. Now, with the Cardinals last year when they acquired John Lester and Jay Happ, I think a lot of people thought the same thing. Look at look at where these guys are in their career. This is Mo going out and getting low-hanging fruit, and both of those players, I think, far exceeded what our expectations for them mm-hmm. were. Does that lead you to give Mo in the front office any more benefit of the doubt when it comes to these two acquisitions? Well, a couple of things. Number one, we had Mo on right after those trades, and he said essentially he got those guys to protect his young starters because he didn't want Johan Oviedo or, at that time, Jake Woodford to get buried at the major league level. He he basically took a couple of guys to take hits, right? And Hap and Lester wound up pitching better than I believe they thought that he would. Plus, they had a more veteran manager, Mike Schiltz, who'd been around the block. And the, they did give them credit. They got great work out of those guys, albeit unexpected. But now... Who's the veteran you lean on? Is Nick Whitgren the veteran you're leaning on in that bullpen? Hennessy's Cabrera has been around, but... Maybe T.J. McFarland is the one you trust the most, right? Yeah. Gallegos. T.J. McFarland is a guy that got DFA by the Orioles last year. But double play T.J., right? Yeah, right. I mean, you, you trust him when yeah, he comes yeah. into the game. Right, but... Uh, I'm talking about the guy that when you're when you've got a group of guys sitting out in the bullpen, like BT always talks about how Russ Springer was kind of like the the grandpa out in their bullpen. Izzy was a leader Mm -hmm. of a bullpen. Who's the leader of this group? Who's the guy that when Henesis Cabrera gets hurt, that goes to uh, the the youngster and says, "Breathe, just get out there," like Izzy did for Adam Wainwright in 2006. Who's the veteran reliever out there that tells a closer in his first experience as a closer? Just go out there and make sure you breathe. I don't know if there's a name that pops out on the list. There isn't. (laughs) And that's a problem for the Cardinals. And like we said, they're really good at evaluating talent. And maybe Whitgren and Vanderha wind up being great. But are you just going to continue to do that? Yeah, I think I I am until he does something. But I'm I'm not sold. Okay, I, I shouldn't say that. I think Cabrera will be fine like he was last year. And I think Gallegos, when healthy, will be solid. But I would prefer an eight-man bullpen where you can count on pretty much everybody. At least six of the eight. And I don't believe the Cardinals are in that space right now. Uh, I think a lot of people agree with you. And... The rotation also has some questions about guys returning from injury. We don't really know what the output is going to be there. So when you couple that with the questions with the bullpen, you wonder how are they going to piece together the innings? And maybe all of these guys in the rotation are going to be healthy and at least for a portion of the season, because, you know, injuries always pop up at some point. But it's going to work out better than we expect it to. But, Randy, I still have questions about the consistency of the offense and the too. Cardinals' offensive approach. Yeah. I still have questions about these young guys, that they're, they're, these internal options that they're slotting in for the DH role. I just, I think 
despite having the best defense in baseball and a lot of proven commodities on this team, I still have a lot of questions about them heading into this 2022 season. And given what we saw out of them last year and the way that they finished the season, I don't think we should have that many questions about them heading into this year, especially because they say themselves were a World Series contender. That's the thing. It's unfair to send Oliver Marmol, and maybe he shouldn't have said it. He gets to choose what he says. But it's unfair to send Oliver Marmol out there. Or for Mo to even say, we expect to win the World Series when you have a fran- uh, franchise right now that would probably be f- picked fourth in the National League West. Right? Bah- the, the Giants are better. Dodgers are better. Padres are probably better. Prob- with Fernando Tatis and the injury? I still love them. I still think they're great. And remember, they get Clevenger back this year. They had Clevenger and they get uh, Lamette back uh, with that rotation. They still have you, Darvish. They're loaded. The Braves are better. The Mets look to be better. I don't know that the, the, the Phillies, the, the Phillies and the Cardinals might be comparable, but the, the Cardinals might be a fourth place team. In the East, and great, they they they're in the central part of the country. They should be in the central division. My point is, is I think the Cardinals are probably out of fifteen teams in the National League, probably seventh best. I sent this to you and Matt yesterday. I'm trying to find it about Bryce Harper mm-hmm. saying that he wants his front office to go for it. That he looks at the the state of the Phillies and he wants them to go after Chris Bryant, Nick Castellanos, or Kyle Schwarber. He said it would be, quote, a downer if the Phillies didn't sign one of them. Here's the quote. They know the type of guys we need in this clubhouse. There's a lot of players out there who are really, really good. Some of them fit our team. Some of them fit the mold. Some of them don't. I don't see us going crazy on Carlos Correa or anything like that because it doesn't make sense for us, right? But there's a couple of guys out there that would definitely make sense for us. They know that. I don't need to reiterate that. The fan base knows that. The city of Philadelphia knows that. We definitely need somebody who gives us the best chance to win. When you get a caliber player like that, it brings the energy in the clubhouse that much more knowing your team is behind you, your organization is behind you, and it gives you the best chance to win each night out there. Could you not substitute St. Louis for every single thing that he said? Yes, but the difference is Bryce Harper has an owner who has in the previ- in previous iterations, years, said we're going to go out and spend stupid money. Yes, he did. And he did say that. you don't go and hire Dave Dombrowski without the idea that you're going to go out and do things like Bryce Harper is talking about, because that's been Dombrowski's M.O. ever since he got into baseball. And we know that the Cardinals have gone out there and made big moves. They acquired Paul Goldschmidt. They went out and got Nolan Arenado for an absolute steal. They've acquired big name players. But I think it says something that the, the their guy, their superstar and Bryce Harper yep. is being very vocal through the media to get a message towards the front office. There's really quality players out here. We want a proven commodity. It's going to energize the clubhouse if you go out there and bring somebody in to help us win. And who would you rather have, Kyle Schwarber or Nolan Gorman? Love the future of Nolan Gorman. I feel like I know what Kyle Schwarber is going to deliver. I'd rather have Kyle Schwarber. But what if Nolan Gorman is a better version of Kyle Schwarber and we just don't know it yet? What if he just needs the opportunity and the runway to showcase what he can do? Michelle, my thing is right now, with my franchise saying that our goal is to win the World Series this year, I want the known rather than the unknown. True, but it's a very difficult position to be in if you're John Mozalek because you want the known, you certainly would feel more comfortable with a more of a proven commodity like a Kyle Schwarber, especially in a postseason mm-hmm. situation. You've seen him do it before. Yeah, we have up on a big above a scoreboard well, on top of a scoreboard. Yeah, we've seen it. But 
when's the last time Mo got really skewered by this fan base? Randy Rosarena. Mm-hmm. And what did he say? We're never going to not know the talent that we have in-house before we make a move. We need to know our guys better than anybody else. And this is their opportunity to see what some of these guys can do in this limited role as a DH. Here's my retort. Okay. My question is, my retort is my question. Okay. <laughs> have you ever seen a team with too many good players? I'm trying to think of one. There's been many stacked teams who haven't won. I don't think if the Cardinals go out and get Kyle Schwarber, they can keep Nolan Gorman. I don't think they can have too many good players. I'm talking about building that 35-man roster. Yeah, I'd rather be in that position. First world problems, having too many good players. Me too. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. The Blues off until Thursday. Darren Pang joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle and Randy and the very busy Darren Pang joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing this morning, uh, Michelle and, and Randy? We're doing Everybody great. Good? Hey, yeah. And you've done a lot of work over the past. You've done a lot of national work. Is it your preference to be busy and basically be doing something hockey-related every single day? Oh, Randy, I'm getting too old for that kind of stuff. <laughs> I just want to hang out with my little dog, Brucey, and my grandchildren, you know, um, and play a little golf along the way. Um, you know, I, I, I like being busy. I think, I think that's good. I think it, it does keep you, I think, young and energetic, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It, you, you would think that it would wear you out. But I, I think all in all, considering this is my first year going back into it in, in a while, um, I think I've, I've held up pretty good, if that's the right way to say it. I mean, you know, there's there's going to be times, especially with all these, you know, I'm not talking about COVID, but just a lot of germs going around anyway. And a lot of, you know, you, whether you've got the sniffles or you just feel a little run down and then you get to a rink and then you feel energized again. So uh, that part of it has been a lot of fun. The other part of it is, too, um, is going out and seeing other teams. And, and watching what they're doing, going through their ups and their downs. Um, everybody thinks, especially when you're in a marketplace, let's let, like St. Louis, and, and, and we're not, you know, not playing our most consistent hockey. And then I go around and I see all these teams that we probably perceive as, oh, wow, they're top teams. They've got their role and everything's going great with them. And then you get to those cities and you really cover those teams and you go, wow, it's not perfect everywhere. And so I, I, I've, I've enjoyed that because I've seen the imperfections all over the league. And I, I think that bodes well for me personally doing a broadcast here and, and finding out some, you know, some of the things that, uh, that the Blues are similar to other teams or some of the things that the Blues have a, a great advantage in as compared to other teams. Well, Pinger, I want to stay there for a second because you are such a great resource because you do get to see so many other teams. Where would you place the Blues comparatively when you look at the landscape of the NHL? I think we're top three in our in our like in our division. I'll stay. I'll keep it right there. We're top three in our on our side. I mean, clearly Colorado's number one. I mean, nobody's nobody will ever dispute that. But uh, as far as number two and, and number three on uh, on ours, that's that's where we're at. We're not a for me. I mean, when we're when we're playing our best and we're going up against the the better teams in the league, we're we're not a wild card team. We're we're a, a two three team in ours. So um, there's there's um, probably. I, I would say, in all transparency, there's probably 
a, maybe a lack on a consistent basis of an identity with our team. And I think we can see that when, it, when, when they're playing a, a game without any identity. You can see that they fall into a trap of, of a lot of teams around the NHL. It's when we are playing with an identity. And like, you know, for several moments in that game in Nashville where you saw that fourth line just hounding pucks and wearing them down and constantly on the prowl. Um, and that allows your, your, your skill lines to, to do their work. The, you know, that's, that's when you look at the Blues and go, okay, that's, 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 that, that's a top three team right there without any doubt whatsoever. It's just about finding that, that consistency with that identity and everybody being on the same page. And I, I believe when the Blues are on that same page and are, are all buying in, I believe that they can beat anybody in the NHL. Panger, it's interesting. We talk a lot about the fourth line and the identity and the energy that a fourth line brings. And I watch this team because in 2019, that's always going to be our comp, right? Because the Blues won the Stanley Cup. And that fourth line had been established. That Barbashev, Sunquist, Steenlide had been established. Is the personnel here, if they play like they're capable of, for a fourth line to be built that provides what they need? Yeah, and but make no mistake, Randy, and I, I don't think I have to say this that the you know there is no Alexander Steen no. in this lineup. I mean that's just the facts. I mean he was a you know a mentor, a coach, a manager, um, you know, and a, a teammate that could say things to another teammate that others feel uncomfortable saying. And 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 it's amazing to me as years go on how uncomfortable people are telling somebody else that maybe their shift was too long. Maybe the dump-in was a bad dump-in. You know, maybe, maybe the, the, the line change was at the wrong time. I mean, those are the things and the intangibles that, that Steiner brought to the table. Um, but can we replicate that? Well, yeah, we can, because you've got two-thirds of that. So if you've got Sunquist and you've got Barbashev um, and you could have a Bozak in there, uh, for sure you've, you've got a line that they would know exactly what to do because the voice of Alexander Steen would haunt their ears if they didn't do it. <laughs> right, no doubt about it. And uh, along these lines, we talk about the Blues setting the tempo, and I'm with you, I think they can compete with anybody when they set the tempo. But if they get into a series against Colorado, they're kind of built, like that now too, aren't they? Where they're capable of being a team. Obviously, they're very fast, but they're yeah. they've got players. They've got edgy players that are big and heavy and can play that set the tempo game too. Yeah, you can. You're talking about Colorado yeah, being yeah. able to do it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think that the 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 blueprint has been taken by other teams since the Blues won the Stanley Cup. And uh, even the Tampa Bay Lightning went after that, that same mantra. They, you kidding me? There was no coincidence that they went after Pat Maroon. It's no coincidence that in that time they bulked up a fourth line and, and they got guys like that. Blake Coleman was, is a good example of a guy that they ended up getting at the deadline a couple of years ago. So, yes, Colorado, you know, Colorado has that. Colorado has a great check-in line as well with, that, with, uh, with the Cadre line. Um, you know, you've got Nichushkin, you've got Kadri, you've got Burakowski. Those are big, strong guys that can defend. They can go up against your other team's best players. Uh, Kadri's good on the face-off dot, and they're big, burly, and they're fast. So they've got that, and then they've got, certainly, they've got the Comfer line. They've got uh, uh, the, um, yeah, so anyway, they do They do have the matchup for you, uh, for sure. And, and obviously, now they're, they're, they've got some injuries with Gerard, and they've got an injury with Landeskog. And so, you know, that, that bodes well for everybody playing against Colorado because now you're seeing them, what are they going to do without those types of players and what, how are they going to play? Are they going to lose a little bit of that identity? Are players that have to maybe play up the line not capable of playing up the line? 
or will Colorado make a trade at the deadline uh, to improve their top six to make sure that they're not going to miss anything without Landeskog? I'm not sure at this particular point. I feel like they're going to make a move as well. Panger, the Blues falling to the Jets on Sunday in overtime 4-3, to three, and they continue to have some issues with overtime. They've lost 6-7 of seven this season in yeah. overtime. Braden Chen was saying, we just have to do better. Overtimes haven't been good to us. What do you think it is about those overtime sessions that have been problematic for the Blues? I don't know, but I, I can't stand the, the way the three-on-three is going now anyway. I mean, how many times did you see Winnipeg get the puck? They went in the offensive zone. They came back out again. I, 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 I mean, I'm not going to make an excuse for them. I'm not out on the ice, but I, I, I don't think the St. Louis Blues team itself um, is, is much built for three-on-three hockey. I think they're, they're built for five-on-five five hockey. And the good news is, is when the playoffs start, it's five-on-five five and it's not three-on-three. Three. But um, all that being said, those are valuable points. Um, I thought the Blues did an excellent job when they pulled the goalie with about two, two minutes and 20 seconds remaining, and I set it on the air. The timing of that was very, very good. The transition of getting the goalie out with fresh bodies on the ice and then, and then to the set play that they, that they scored on um, was brilliant. I, I mean, it doesn't always work that way that, that, uh, you know, that, that everything was, was to perfection. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm more thinking too, Michelle, that yeah, the loss in the overtime, but I'm thinking the way that they tied the game up in regulation was very impressive to me. Panger, last thing from me, the Blues are a team that has a tendency to play to the level of their competition, like great against the Rangers last week, didn't perform exceptionally well in that 13 game stretch. But do you like the fact that they're going to be tested for the playoffs over the course of the next month or so? Yeah, and I'm obviously really excited about Thursday night's game too. I mean, it's uh, you know, not not only will there be a few wee leprechauns in the in the stands, <laughs> I'm sure, with, but uh, but you know, it is Pittsburgh. It is special when when Sydney comes to town, and and uh, and it is the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they're playing real good hockey. They play a, a determined game, just like the Blues play. So um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that 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 type of matchup for sure. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I think the Blues learned a little bit in that game against Nashville. I mean, leading in. 3 nothing, and then letting that squander away, but that's hockey, and it's, it's about finding a way to come back and win those games and get great goaltending, which they did in that game, and I would expect that to continue here uh, you know, as we look at the schedule. Panger, it's always great to hear your voice. Glad to have you with us, and have a great week, and we'll be tuned in on Thursday night. You got it, guys. You have a great morning as well. And Brucey says hello. Okay? All right. Thanks, Brucey. <laughs> okay. Hi to Bruce, too. Okay, bud. I'll <laughs> see you later. Panger with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, it's the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It's time for the fight on Carragher and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.36 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's that time of the day where Megamind, also known as Randy Carricker, takes on one of our listeners from the BLIS, the best listeners in sports, in a sports trivia competition. Today that listener is Bill. Good morning, Bill. How are you? Morning, Bill. This Saluki just wants to say I-L-L. I and I, Bill. How you feeling about... Uh about this tournament and their chan- our boys' chances? Um, a little nervous after that Indiana loss, but uh, after what happened last year, they're going to they're gonna make a deeper run this year. I know it. 
Why do you know it? Because I need to know it. Right now, I don't know it. Because just when you think all hope is lost <laughs> in sports, David Freeze steps up and hits a bomb. You never know. You know what, Bill? I'm so glad we talked this morning. You're firing me up. I was thinking, I was telling Matt and Randy yesterday that when I think about my sports Mount Rushmore of, of people that haunt my sports nightmares, it's, of course, Big Poppy. I would put Sean May in there. And now Cameron Crutwig of Loyola, John Candy himself, he's on the list. And I said, I just wonder who's going to be the face that is added to the list this year. But I don't know, Bill. You're you're kind of providing me some inspiration here. Maybe, maybe we don't need to add to the nightmares. Maybe it'll be a dream. Let's be positive. We could be Cincinnati Reds fans. <laughs> That's true, Bill. Okay, well, let's uh, keep that positivity going in the fight here. Good luck, okay? Let's jump right in. Question number one. Who threw the half-court inbounds pass to Christian Leitner for the game-winning shot against Kentucky in the 1992 Elite Eight? Was it Bobby Hurley, Brian Davis, or Grant Hill? Grant Hill. Since the tournament's expansion to 64 teams in 1985, what school was the lowest seed to ever win the Men's Basketball National Championship? Is it UConn, Villanova, or Butler? Butler. Question number three, Bill. Since Albert Pujols last played first base for the Cardinals in 2011, who has the most appearances at first base for the Cardinals? Appearances, not starts. Is it Matt Adams, Paul Goldschmidt, or Matt Carpenter? I'll say Carpenter. And last night, Carl Anthony Towns scored 60 points, setting the Minnesota Timberwolves single-game scoring record and becoming the first center to score 60-plus points since David Robinson, Anthony Davis, or Shaquille O'Neal? David Robinson. Okay. Bill has completed the fight. Yep. Matt and I checking his score or waving Randy in. Bill, you were very positive before the fight. Are you having that positivity still now that you've completed the fight? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's like us last Friday. Before the Big Ten tournament, we're feeling good. Illinois, number one seed, and then Indiana comes in. Uh, Randy, please say good morning to Bill. Bill, good morning. How oh, you let's doing? get your mic on. Try that again, Randy. Bill, good morning. How you doing? Randy, I am great, and uh, I actually had the pleasure of sitting next to you at a Cardinals game back in 2006. It was in... Uh, September and uh, Joan was actually sitting right next to me and I didn't I recognize you but I didn't say anything because I wanted to give you some peace with your family but uh, uh, pleasure to fight with you today. Well I, I appreciate that and for you and anybody who ever sees me stop by and say hi I like to talk to you and uh, I know people come up to me all the time and it's interesting they say yeah I know you're off work and you don't want to talk sports and I think to myself well, what else am I going to talk about <laughs> so always feel free to talk to me even if you're at a game at a restaurant whatever okay you got it thanks so nice Randy thanks Are you yeah, just don't ask about history or anything like that <laughs> sports history just sports Te- history Randy yeah, just text me I got your back <laughs> um, are you ready to take the fight, sir? I'm ready. Question number one. Mm-hmm. Who threw the half-court inbounds pass to, pass to Christian Leitner for the game-winning shot against Kentucky in the 1992 Elite Eight? I think it was Bobby Hurley. Um... But it seems like he was also down there. 
I'll go with Bobby Hurley anyway, though. He was pretty good. He had a good arm. Since the tournament's expansion to 64 teams in 1985, what school was the lowest seed to ever win the men's basketball national championship? I believe it was NC State. I think they were, what, a 12? Uh, NC State in 1983, Jim Valvano's squad. Now, a couple years later, Raleigh Massimino and Villanova. But no, I think it was NC State. Oh, no, 85. Since the tournament's expansion in 85. So I'll I'll go with uh, Villanova then. I'll go with that Villanova team. Question number three, Randy. Since Albert Pujols last played first base for the Cardinals in 2011, who has the most appearances at first base for the team? Appearances, not starts. Okay. Let's see. Since 2011. Um, let's see, Goldie, three years. This is... Like, it's amazing that I don't even... Well, you had Alan Craig bouncing around. He certainly didn't have the most. Um, I'll do the lifeline here. Matt Adams, Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Carpenter. Mm. Mm. So <laughs> Great I, response. I, I, I figured... <laughs> let's see, Goldie, 2021-22. I don't think Matt Adams played enough first base. Well, he played pretty much, but I don't think he played enough. So I think it's going to be between Marp and Goldie. And if we go with Marp, he moved to first base when the Cardinals uh, was, let's see, third first. He, appearances. I'm going to go I'll go with Marp. And last night, Carl Anthony Towns scored 60 points, setting the Minnesota Timberwolves single-game scoring record and becoming the first center to score 60 points in the NBA since... I'll say David Robinson. Whew. Bill, Randy, we have a tie. Mm. Tough fight today. Each of you only got one correct. Mm. Which means we're headed to the tiebreaker round. Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy is going to write his answer down on a yellow legal pad after I am done reading it. Bill, you're going to get first crack at it. We're going to get you about ten, give you excuse me about ten seconds to share your answer with us. Then Randy will reveal what he wrote down on the yellow legal pad. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Randy, are you ready? Ready. Bill, are you ready? Let's do this, boys. Here's your tiebreaker question. How many times has Patrice Bergeron won the Selkie Award? One more time. How many times has Patrice Bergeron won the Selkie Award? Randy has shown me his answer. Bill, whenever you're ready, sir. I'm going to say three, and I have no freaking idea. Randy, your answer was? It was also three. Okay, so Matt, as our master of ceremonies here, since they both have the same answer and it's incorrect, should we move to the second tiebreaker question? I believe so, yes. Okay, so Matt has just a safety tiebreaker question here. (laughs) I'd forgotten it was on the back. You both have the same answer and it's both incorrect. So we're moving to Mm -hmm. another tiebreaker question. Okay. This is a battle for the ages. 
Randy, are you ready for... <laughs> this is epic. For yeah, this is number a, two. Uh, this, is, this is what Charlie Spoonhauer used to call a taffy pull. You know what this is? This is like the Bills and the Chiefs, just back and forth, back yeah, and forth. Exactly. Down to the no. <laughs> Randy, are you ready for tiebreaker number two? I'm ready. This is like that... Uh, Cowboys-Lions 1970s 5-3 game. Yeah, that's actually way more accurate. Bill, are you ready for tiebreaker number two? I am. All right, guys. If neither one of you gets this, I don't know what we're going to do, but here we go. I'm Googling a question right now. Okay, thank you for that. Chris Pronger played 598 games in St. Louis as a blue, more than any other team he played for. Outside of St. Louis, which team did Pronger play the most games for? Chris Pronger played 598 games in St. Louis as a Blue more than any other team that he played for. Outside of St. Louis, which team did Pronger play the most games for? Randy showed me what he said. Bill, whenever you're ready. Michelle, I can't even remember who. I remember we traded uh, him. I think Brendan Shanahan for him, but I can't even remember who we, what team that was, if, I, if I'm even getting that correct. So I'll just say the Ottawa Senators. Bill says the Ottawa Senators. Randy, your answer? I went with the uh, Anaheim Ducks. We've got a winner. Someone got it correct. After two tiebreaker questions, was it Bill or was it Randy? Matt, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. Bill, epic fight. <laughs> Came down to the second tiebreaker, but Randy did get it correct. Randy knew it. So let's roll it back to the top. It was Grant Hill. He threw the half-court inbounds pass to Christian Leitner for that game-winning shot against Kentucky in the 92 Elite Eight. Since the tournament's expansion to 64 teams in 1985, Villanova is the lowest seed to ever win the Men's Basketball National Championship. It was in 1985, the eighth seed with a win over number one Georgetown. Since Albert Pujols last played first base for the Cardinals in 2011, Matt Adams has the most appearances at first base for the Redbirds. He has 381 appearances. Paul Goldschmidt coming in at 364. 364. Carl Anthony Town scored 60 points last night, setting the Minnesota Timberwolves single game scoring record and becoming the first center to score 60 plus since Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq did it on March 6th of 2000 with 61 points. Now we went to our tiebreaker rounds. Rounds, plural. How many times has Patrice Bergeron won the Selkie? Randy and Bill both guessed three. The correct answer is four. Which led us to our second tiebreaker question. And thankfully, Matt had that one in the hopper. Chris Pronger played 598 games in St. Louis as a blue, more than any other team he played for outside of St. Louis. Pronger played the most games for the Anaheim Ducks. Randy got that one correct. Randy guessed Anaheim. Bill guessed Ottawa. Prongs played 220 games for the Ducks. He played 145 games for the Flyers and 124 games for the Whalers. Bill, great fight. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great rest of your day. It was fun. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you, Bill. Have a great day. That's Bill on the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the new Cardinal beat writer for MLB.com, John Denton, joins us with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. 
John Denton was taken away by the fact that the Cardinals moved up Oliver Marmol's press conference. So John Denton, the Cardinal beat writer for MLB.com, is with the Cardinals skipper right now. So we've got... You're killing me, Small. An early edition of You're Killing mm-hmm. Me, Smalls. So, Randy, you may Randy, you may remember Tom Brady connecting with Mike Evans for a 55-yard touchdown during the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' loss to the Rams in the playoffs. Well, that was labeled as Tom Brady's, quote, final touchdown pass. Three days ago, that final, air quotes again, touchdown pass sold at auction for over $500,000. Tom Brady, of course, decided to come back to the NFL. That makes this football significantly less valuable. TMZ quotes quoting now that it's worth about $50,000. Other people estimating that it's down to $25,000. So the collector that forked over half a million dollars for this final touchdown ball for Tom Brady, now out a small fortune. That's what you get. Now, I'm sure that he has a large fortune. If you can buy a football for $500,000, you have a lot of money. But... If you're buying a ball from a game, a piece of memorabilia that is kind of useless and it winds up depreciating to that level, you kind of deserve it. Also, if you're someone that's very into sports and you're obviously into the NFL and Tom Brady and you're paying enough attention, don't you think that you would wait until he put in his paper? Don't you think you would wait until it was completely certain that he wasn't coming back? Everyone in the sports world was speculating about a return. The Buccaneers even said, we're going to leave the light on. Yeah, right. Yeah. And here's the thing, Michelle. Why would it be worth 50000 now? Why isn't it worth a hundred? It's It's just a ball. I I don't even know why it's worth anything at all. Yeah, it's just one of his touchdown passes. Maybe it's because it's the postseason. I don't know. But it was in a loss. So who knows? Yeah, I don't know how these things are evaluated, but that's (laughs) I I would not want to be that guy. We'll just put it that way. No, that's yeah, he only lost four hundred and fifty grand. And I just imagine this person having this conversation with their spouse. Oh, I got this for 500 k One day this is going to be worth millions, babe. Mm-hmm. This is going to be such a great investment. Three days later, yikes. <laughs> yikes. You're killing me, Smalls. So we talked about Mitch Berg, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Mitchell Trubisky heading to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ian Rappaport, Randy, tweeted this yesterday. The Steelers had been in the mix on Jimmy Garoppolo with the 49ers, but signing Mitchell Trubisky means they're out, but the Colts still have interest in Jimmy Garoppolo. I know when we were playing our quarterback carousel, our potential landing spots, you and I both thought that Pittsburgh would be a great landing spot for mm-hmm. Jimmy G. And I think that he'll be... Well-received if Indianapolis is the spot. We're running out of landing spots now. Tampa has a guy. The Broncos have a guy. The Packers kept their guy. Pittsburgh has a guy. Now you're looking, and Miami decided to stick with their guy. So now you're looking at the Panthers and the Saints. I don't think either of those teams are landing spots for Jimmy G. So my speculation would be that Maybe India is the only real spot for him. And I would imagine, yes, that's probably it. And I would imagine that a lot of teams aren't going to really pursue Jimmy G until the Deshaun Watson situation is settled. No doubt. If you're out there looking for a quarterback, I think most teams that are actually really hungry and aggressive to go after somebody are probably sending out feelers on Deshaun and going to wait until that situation is settled. And I'm going to bet that the Colts want, and this is going to wind up being a bargain for them, they're going to give up less for Jimmy G than they got for Carson Wentz. I could see it. 
and it might be an upgrade at the position. I believe it will be. And, and the team, by the way, that did the worst in filling a quarterback hole is Washington this offseason with Carson Wentz. You're killing me, Small. I don't, I don't know how they think that one's going to work. No, it's not going to work. Especially with everything that you're hearing coming out of Philadelphia and now coming mm-hmm. out of Indy. I know that he protected the football a, a lot better than most people expected him to at his time in Indiana. In Indianapolis. I don't know why I said Indiana. This is in Indiana. It is in Indiana, but we don't say in Indiana. We no. say in Indianapolis when referring to the Colts. However... When I'm hearing that Frank Reich is apologizing for sticking his neck out for Carson Wentz and that they don't know if he can be the quarterback that they need him to be from a leadership standpoint and that they don't trust him to be that guy, why would you want to take a flyer on him? I can't figure it out. And I thought Ron Rivera was smarter than that. But either he's great or he's not as smart as I think he is. You're killing me, Small! And that'll be TBD, obviously. Uh, Some scary news coming out of baseball, Randy, yesterday. Pete Alonzo was nearly killed in a very scary car crash on Sunday, but thankfully he's doing fine. He was speaking to the media at Port St. Lucie during Mets spring training. He said he was T-boned by a man who ran a red light. He said it was a really close experience to to death. His car actually flipped three times and his wife had shared footage of the vehicle and what it looked like after the crash. It was terrifying. He actually had to kick out the uh, windshield for him to escape the vehicle. Very lucky that Pete Alonzo is not only alive to tell the story, but that he walked away unscathed. Yeah. It was a very, very terrifying situation. It really was. And thank goodness that Pete Alonzo is still with us. And is going to be able to play this year. That's the most amazing thing is that he's going to be able to play Major League Baseball after that. Pete Alonzo, always going to be one of my guys because during the Home Run Derby, I picked him on my team, which caused you to lose and have to spin the wheel. I know. So, Pete Alonzo, glad you're okay. Yeah, I'm not. We need to bring back the wheel. We'll get the wheel going. It's been a minute. uh, I've got a cubicle now, and it's in my cubicle. There's a wheel. With Mar- Our cubicle. We, we share a cubicle, by the way. Which I've never been to. No. Nope. But with March Madness coming up, it mm. seems like a good time, Randy, to maybe make some, some bet. bets, some wagers. I'm with you. Let's do it. All right. Yes. We'll do it. Speaking of March Madness, uh, today's big thing includes our preview of the East Region. That's next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Okay, I was looking forward to wearing my Mizzou hoodie on Thursday. Randy, do you have any Illinois gear? I come Illinois here with nothing gear? but a smile. Do you have any Illinois gear? I need Illinois gear. I've got some stuff that you could wear. Okay, uh, I'll wear it. Tomorrow morning, slew gear, like... Matt is today. Okay. Because the Billikens play tomorrow against Northern Iowa. I just need you an orange on Friday. I will. I, I don't have Illinois, but I have orange. Believe okay. me, I have orange. Orange and blue. That's all I need. Okay. And, and a positive attitude. It. Just some good energy. We had Bill on in the fight. He said ILL, I and I. He was, he was pumping me up. He was saying, listen, this is March. Just when you think they're down, mm-hmm. just when you think all hope is lost, that's when they come through. He, he kind of compared it to David Freeze. Okay. And, and I don't know if Illinois is down to their last strike twice, but it hasn't well, been great. I'll say this. If Illinois can advance, they could play Loyola. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Sorry. even want to put it out there. <laughs> you know all the bad juju I've gotten having to call out Sister Jean mm-hmm. for let's, her improper benefits. I'm just calling it like I see it. Okay. 
Calling in a favor. This will come on Friday, but I'm going to get an early guess from you. Okay. This is a game that you have to hate. Ohio State and Loyola. Oh, I hate it. Absolutely. So you betting against Sister Jean? You betting against the Buckeyes? Which one of those two beat us last year when we were a number one seed? Loyola, Sister Jean. And I'm a Big Ten girl. So okay. I, it, I always think that that's such a weird mindset, though, to think, oh, I would rather see a big, if I can't win it, I want to see a Big Ten team win. Why? Yeah. You go to battle against them all season long. Why do you want them you to win? You hate them. But that's what I think. I just think when you, it, it's part of us, right? We, we mm-hmm. want our conference or our, uh, the teams that we play against to do well because it maybe makes us feel better about mm-hmm. losing. I don't know. But it's a weird thought process. By the way, one other note here, Michelle, when I grow up, I want to dress like and walk like and be like and look like Jay Wright, <laughs> the head coach of Villanova. He's pretty smooth. He's very smooth. Yeah. Uh, that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, John Denton, the new beat writer for the Cardinals for MLB.com, joins us on Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm Randy Carricker, and it is a pleasure to welcome John Denton to the show on Carricker and Smallman, 101 ESPN in St. Louis. John is the new beat writer for the Cardinals for MLB.com. He's down in Jupiter, and he joins us now. John, welcome to 101 ESPN. Welcome to St. Louis, and thanks for joining us this morning. How's it going? Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a little cloudy in Jupiter, but it's a good day for baseball. Well, John, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm reading here that you grew up a Cardinal fan in Tennessee. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, you know, I grew up in Cardinal country, so my grandfather was a Cardinal fan, my father was a Cardinal fan, and I grew up, you know, and as a Cardinal fan myself, you know, this was this was the reason I love sports. This is the reason that I uh, became a sports writer, because I love baseball, and, you know, uh, my career has taken me elsewhere. I've covered the NBA the past uh, 24 years, but... Uh, now I'm now I'm here in St. Louis, you know, baseball heaven, a uh, chance to cover the Cardinals, and I couldn't be happier about it. Well, John, I led with that because if you grew up a Cardinal fan, you knew the expectations that surround the Cardinals every year. Fans expect yeah. the Cardinals to win a World Series every year. And Ali Marmol, their new rookie manager, said it would be a disappointment if we didn't win a World Series, which is a bold statement, but it's also kind of accurate for Cardinals fans. But what do you think? When you look at the construction of this team, do you think it would be a disappointment if this team specifically didn't win a World Series? You know, I've been around sports a long time, and, and usually rookie managers, you know, they play down expectations. They they tell you, you know, we're taking it one day at a time. You get all the cliches. But, you know, Ali said right up front that this team expects to win. He understands the magnitude of, of being the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. He understands the expectations of the fan base and the front office. And, you know, I thought it was rather refreshing. You know, it would have been disingenuous if he would have said, hey, we just want to make the playoffs when – when you have Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and, and five Gold Glove winners and Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty, you know you should be a contender. And I love that that, that Ollie's embracing that. You know he's 35 years old. He's he, he's, a, he's a rookie manager, but I love the fact that he's embracing the expectations. John, yesterday we got word from Mo that. Uh, Alex Reyes was going to have to undergo what he called extensive testing on the shoulder. Anything from Ali this morning? Any advancement of the Alex Reyes story? You know, Ali said this morning that, you know, I asked him, I said, uh, you know, is it a concern that 
that Reyes has thrown all summer, but he hasn't thrown off a mound. And he said, you're, you're, you're definitely right. It is a concern. And he said that puts him, you know, a week, two weeks behind everybody else. And, you know, so they're going to have to get him to the point where he can throw off a mound, but first they got to get him pain free just to the point where he can throw. And, you know, we all know his injury history with the labrum and the Tommy John surgery. And you know, he's kind of been snake bitten his whole career. And, you know, a lot of people think he had a bad season last year. The guy had 29 saves and you only blew five saves and he ended up with a 10 and eight record. So he actually had a really good season. It was just, you know, some of the, some of the blowups were, you know, were very open, uh, but, but somehow, some way, uh, they, they've got to figure out how to get him pain-free. I think, uh, you know, uh, Alex is probably one of the first victims of the lockout. You know, for 99 days, the players in the organization couldn't talk to each other. So he couldn't tell them that his shoulder was still hurting. So, you know, he's obviously behind. I don't think there's any way he could be a, a starter, which that's part of his dream. Uh, but, you know, he's definitely behind, and, and we'll see if he's even ready for opening day now, now that he's having pain in the shoulder. John, the Cardinals had some recent bullpen signings in Drew Verhagen and Nick Wickren. A lot of Cardinals fans were hoping for someone a little bit more established to fill those roles. What did you make of these signings? What do you expect from them? Well, if you look at the common thread, they all have major league experience. They're all veterans. They've all uh, they've all been guys who you know have been around the block. And and one other common thread, and you know, I was talking to Nick Wickren this morning, is. You know, the Cardinals are looking for guys who throw strikes. They're looking for guys who, who, who throw ground balls. You know, if you, when you have five gold glove defenders behind you, you want to throw ground balls. And, uh, you know, Nick Wigren, uh, he said basically he had two bad outings last year. His numbers would look a lot better. Uh, Verhagen is a guy who, who doesn't walk players. Like we all know, the Cardinals set the major league record last year for walking in batters. I think it was 29 walks with the bases loaded last season. They're looking for strike throwers. They're looking for guys who will – will get ground balls and, and get them out of innings. And uh, Whitgren, you know, his numbers weren't great last year, but, but since 2016, he's sixth in baseball and, and stranding in heritage runners. So that's a, that's a big deal. That is the voice of John Denton. He's the new beat writer for the Cardinals for MLB.com. John, what's your read on the DH situation as we sit here at 922 St. Louis time on March 15th? Well, you know, I, I know a lot of Cardinal fans would love for them to go after Schwerber. They would love for them to go after a big bopper, a big bat, but you know, we all know that, you know, this organization is not going to stand in the way of uh, internal options. They're not going to stand in the way of, of development. And, you know, they love what Lars Newbar did last year. They love that he went to Arizona fall ball. Uh, Juan Yepes, uh, you know, hit, what, 22 home runs in Memphis last year. And, you know, Nolan Gorman has already shown a, a lot of pop from that bat. So if, if, you, if I had to make a prediction today, I would say it's going to be Nolan Gorman because the kid can just flat rake. I mean, he, he is a beautiful left-handed hitter. We know the Cardinals need a left-handed bat, and if it's not him, I would say it's Lars Newbar. I mean, you know, I know a lot of Cardinals want them, uh, fans want them to go out and spend huge bucks to go get Schwarber, but you have a $26 million first baseman. You have a $26 million third baseman already. You know, it's the more likely option is an internal option, and I would say it would either be Gorman or Newbar because they're left-handed bat. So, John, you're telling me that for fans out there listening that are hoping for an Albert Pujols St. Louis Cardinals reunion, they should put that dream to bed? Yeah, it, you know, it would be it would be very fitting. It'd be a great way for Albert to end his career. And uh, you know, we all know we all know the Cardinals got the best eleven years out of his career that that, that he'll ever have. And it would be a Hollywood Hollywood type ending. But I just don't know how realistic it is. Uh, you know, they're looking for you know, maybe these guys are still out there. Cheap, they can get them for a one year deal. Maybe something like that materializes late in the process. But 
you know, right now I think the focus is on internal options. Hey, John, one more thing before we let you go. You mentioned that you covered the NBA for a long time, and Michelle worked up in Bristol at ESPN, and she's always compared to the NBA to a reality drama, a soap opera of sorts. Uh, how much do you miss that, the day-to-day drama of the soap opera that is the NBA? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the Major League Baseball locker rooms are nothing like uh, basketball. You know, it's it, the NBA locker rooms are like an eighth-grade lunchroom. You know, <laughs> this guy's talking about this guy, and this guy's, you know, flirting with this guy's girlfriend. And, it's you know, every day that you fling the door open, you never know what you're going to get. So Michelle is, is 100% right there. But I told somebody the other day, I said, another big difference is in, in like three days of camp, I've already seen more pickup trucks than I saw in 24 years of covering the NBA. So that's that's a big difference as well. Hey, it's great to have you with us. Welcome to 101 ESPN. Welcome to St. Louis. Can't wait to meet you and put a, a face to the name. And by the way, people can follow John Denton on Twitter at John Denton 555. John, thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it and looking forward to meeting you on April 7th, if not before. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate the warm welcome and and anytime. Thank you. That's John Denton from MLB.com on 101 ESPN. Next up, we've talked a lot about Albert Pujols. What would he bring to the Cardinals? Our friend, the former Dodger GM and now Dodger postgame host, Ned Coletti, will join us to tell us exactly what Albert has left in the tank next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's not very often that we get a three-time Emmy Award winner on the program, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Not only is Ned Coletti, the former Dodger GM, a three-time Emmy Award winner, but he is also now a member of the Chicago Sports Hall of Fame. And Ned with, is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Mr. Coletti, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing this morning? Hey, Randy, good. Good to be with you guys. Baseball time, almost here. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, the, we were so infuriated by the lockout. You've you've been in the business forever, so I'm sure you handled it better than we did. But overall, how did you handle the lockout? Well, I, um, I've been through about seven or eight of them, I think, lockout strikes. And I think, the, uh, I think I always had great confidence it was going to happen. As soon as one side had something to lose, it was going to get close. And as soon as both sides had something to lose, it was going to get done, and that's what happened. You've got to be patient with it, you know. Every five years, you're going to have you're going to have a little bit of trouble, perhaps. You look back at the history of it from the first one on; they probably had strikes and lockouts every three or four years for about twenty some years. So, uh, relative peace with one in the last twenty seven or whatever it's been. Hey, Ned, I, I, one more thing on the lockout, because you have had so many dealings with Scott Boris over the years. And when they got to this competitive balance tax and they said that was the biggest thing, I said, this is essentially a Scott Boris and Steve Cohen rule. Steve Cohen's going to flirt with the competitive balance tax if they get it up to 260, 265. And Scott Boris wants to have a place for Juan Soto to land. Did I oversimplify it there? Well, maybe with the Juan Soto piece, because Scott's got a lot more oars in the water than just Mr. Soto, who's a phenomenal player. But uh, I think that that certainly Scott's influence uh, was there. A number of people on the Major League Executive Board player side. uh, There was a lot of of representation there. But 
it's interesting to see how the dynamics go and to sit somewhat on the outside and watch it and know who the people are who are the main players, so to speak, in it and seeing their chess moves one by one as being reported. You, you take them as accurate when they're reported. Uh, and it's interesting to see how the dynamic starts to walk in one direction or the other. And who thinks they have the leverage at different points by by stating, hey, we would we, we need this as part of it, you know? Uh, this is very interesting back and forth. Fans don't care about that. They just want the game back, and, and they got mm-hmm. that. That's right, Ned, absolutely. And we love having you on to talk baseball, but one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because there's been a lot of talk in St. Louis re- recently about a potential reunion between the Cardinals and Albert Pujols. And with you having eyes on him recently with the Dodgers, a lot of people in St. Louis are wondering how much Albert has left in the tank and if he could be a full-time DH for the Cardinals. So when you look at that potential reunion between Albert and the Cardinals, do you think it would be a good match for them? Uh, I think it's certainly worth strong consideration, uh, not not wanting to play the GM or the ownership of the St. Louis Cardinals or Albert. Um, you know, he was a great addition for the Dodgers. Uh, his his place in the game, uh, his place in life, and he had great leadership to him. I think you look at the reaction of players, and a lot of those players uh, played for the club last year were, were guys that I, I knew from drafting them or trading for them or signing them as free agents. And knowing them and seeing their reaction to him throughout the entire season, uh, you know that it was working. And he can still dial it up. I tell you what, there's certain pitching that he will just crush. You know, I'm not sure what happened over the wintertime, you know, if he's lost any of the best speed or any of that. But uh, there, were, there were certain matchups that it was, it was as one-sided as it, was, as it probably was at any point in his career. Some guys are going to cause him trouble. Some of those guys cause everybody trouble. So uh, I think it's certainly worth worth doing it and seeing. With the DH, you know, you've you've opened up a whole new uh, position, whole new job uh, description, as it were, for somebody of his age and his caliber. Hey, Ned, if we put you back in the big chair as a GM, you mentioned his leadership. How important is that to bring in a guy that, that brought what he brought to that club? Well, I think it's it's really important, and I think it's it's almost become as tough to find as twenty game winners, as legit forty home run guys, people like that. Um, you know, the game has has you know slowly gotten away from uh, a lot of leaders inside a room. And if you if you study leadership and stuff, you know that there could be as many as eighteen leaders, twenty leaders. In a, in a baseball clubhouse in different ways. Even young players can find a piece of leadership. But I think it's, I think it's important. I think every team is going to go through some ups and downs. And when you've got somebody that's been through a lot and you've got young players who you're counting on to, to perform, I think somebody like, like Albert can, can kind of settle the room down. It's my explain to them different situations. And it's one thing for a GM to do it or a manager to do it or, you know, uh, anybody else to do it, talk radio, talk show people to do it. It's another thing for one of your peers to do it that people have respect for like that. And I think there is value to it. I, I don't think there's any doubt that, that, that if he can help one player get better, one player calm that player's mind down, it's worth it. It's already been worth it just with one. And I, I sense that with the Dodgers last year, there were multiple players that, that he helped get better. Even in, the, even in a moment in time, even in one at bat, 
that that he had huge huge impression and I loved huge impression. That's incredible insight, Ned. And Albert is sitting there at 679 home runs. He's on the precipice of one of the most hallowed milestones in baseball with 700. And I think about that moment in baseball, and that's going to be something that we remember forever. When we think about Albert Pujols as a player, we're always going to remember that 700th home run wherever it is. Is that enough for a front office to be interested in bringing him in to think about him reaching that milestone while wearing their laundry? Um. I think it's got some value, but it's like people would ask me in L.A., which was a, obviously a celebrity city and things like that. Hey, if we if you if you don't have a good team, but you got a couple stars, you're still going to be okay. And I would never buy that. You've got to have players who help you win. And is it a nice story to have them do it in St. Louis? Yes, but if it's you know if it's going to take two years in theory, you know that, that's that's not necessarily going to be a good story. So I think it depends on really where he's at in this game. Uh, it, it all lines up in, in a lot of beautiful ways, historic ways, and, and kind of ways that baseball is known for and tying its its history together with its the past with the present. But I think it all depends also on, on how much he can contribute. If he's at, at 698, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different story. But, you know, he's going to have to have a decent season to reach it. So I think that, that that's really where you would start in your evaluation. Keep in the back of your mind, yeah, it'd be cool to bring him home. It'd be cool to have him do it here. But, you know, providing that he can, he can help play and help the team play and win and that he's got the interest in doing it. Hey, Ned, one more thing for me, and this is uh, off the Albert topic, but it's about the – philosophy of a GM because you had Don Mattingly when he was a first time GM Oliver Marmol is a first time or first time manager uh, you had Mattingly as a first time manager is your approach different in building a team for a first time manager because I'm sitting here saying the Cardinals should kind of build a, a foolproof bullpen for a rookie manager do you build a team any differently for a rookie manager than a veteran guy that is a great question. I went from, from Joe Torrey, Hall of Fame manager who'd managed for 20 some years to one of our coaches, Don Mattingly. And, uh, just a, a short uh, view of Mattingly. You know, I, I'd had him as a coach for a couple of years, tremendously hardworking. And I had known that before I ever hired him. Joe wanted me to add him to the staff. I was honored to do so. But I had heard from a, an old Cub pitching coach, Billy Connors, who was a Yankee coach. When Donnie was playing, Dave Rigetti, Giants pitching coach who I was tight with, who you know, would talk about Donnie too, before I ever asked. So I knew I was getting somebody really who was going to put everything they had into it and who was such a great, accomplished player. I don't think you can build your team around a manager's experience. I think you can build a staff around a manager's experience. And the manager needs to know we all have weaknesses, we all have strengths. And, and, and you bring up a good point about the bullpen. To me, that is the toughest transition for any new manager, especially somebody who hasn't done it before. To know when it's time to get somebody out of there and get somebody up and all that, that is probably the toughest thing for any manager, getting to know their personnel, but also the experience of the game and things like that. So I think it's, it's manager uh, because of experience or for whatever. It's possible and it's imperative to – to build a staff around that that particular manager. We managed in the Arizona Fall League before uh, getting the, the Dodgers job. And I had Rick Honeycutt, who you guys probably know well from mm-hmm. his, you know, days in the big leagues. 
uh, who had been our pitching coach years already. And so, you know, I, I brought them both together, and I said, look, you know, you guys are going to have to lean on each other. And, and that's how we're going to do this. And, you know, our bullpen guy, you know, whoever that was at the time, perhaps Kenny Howell, really great. Uh, you know, you guys rely on each other, communicate with each other, really fine-tune your thought process. This is how we're going to be successful, because if you can't manage that pen, you're going to end up losing a handful of things. So Oliver Marmol will be in good shape with, with Mike Maddox. Ned Coletti, we know you're traveling today. We appreciate you taking some time and, and great insight on Albert and uh, the Cardinals and the Dodgers, as always. And as the season unfolds, I'm sure we'll visit again. Thank you. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thank you to both. See you later. That is the great Ned Coletti, three-time Emmy Award winner, former GM of the Dodgers, and Michelle, a scout for the San Jose Sharks. You talk about an accomplished sports executive. Ned is at the top of the list. What a resume. Yeah. And what great insight he just gave us on Albert Pujols. Yeah, and that kind of changes my mind because Ned knows what he's doing. Yes, and what he said about having him in that clubhouse and if he can even impact one player and settle down one guy in that moment, it's worth it to have somebody like that. Not to mention all the other things that he would bring to the Cardinals from a financial standpoint, mm-hmm. from an exposure standpoint. Everybody would be talking about him making his return home. And there's a lot of a lot of tentacles here to this story. Well, and the other question that the Cardinals have to ask themselves based upon what Ned told us. If Albert is the 26th guy on your roster and he's your right-handed DH, how much can he benefit a left-handed DH like Nolan Gorman? These are good questions. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're going to head down the stretch with What's on Tap next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You need to sign up to play in this year's Bracket Madness Pick'em Challenge brought to you by Twin Peaks and Bud Light. Fill out your attorney bracket at 101ESPN.com. It's free to enter, and this year's top score will take home a $250 Fanatics gift card. you got to be 21-plus and a resident, resident of Missouri or Illinois. The first round starts Thursday. Get signed up to play in Bracket Madness now at 101ESPN.com. Michelle, have you filled out your bracket completely? I actually logged in this morning to try to do it, or I attempted to log in, and I don't know my password, so I'm going to have to do it after the show. That happens to me at least twice a week, where I go to log into something Mm -hmm. and I forget my password. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. Hey, I got a story for you. Tell me. With the Reds trading Jesse Winker yesterday, he was expected to make or estimated to make $6.8 million in arbitration this year. And they traded a Eugenio Suarez. He was due $11 million in each of the next three years. Plus, the Reds traded Sonny Gray and his $10 million salary. Earlier in the offseason, before the lockout, they waived Wade Miley. The Cubs picked up his $10 million salary. And the Reds traded to their starting catcher, Tucker Barnhart, and his Seven and a half million dollar salary plus Nick Castellanos left. So, so who was there? <laughs> well, here's the thing: Joey Votto has the highest salary on the team at twenty five million. Mike Mustakis is at sixteen million, and Shogi uh, Shogo Akiyama is making eight million, along with Luis Castillo at seven and a half, and Tyler Molly at five point five million dollars. Those five players on the Reds 
are the only Reds players that are making more from the Reds this year than Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr., with deferred payments, is getting $3.959 million from the Reds. Ken Griffey Jr. is the Hall of Famer. Ken Griffey Jr. is the sixth highest paid Red in 2022. That's outrageous. (laughs) I mean, good for the kid, but that's outrageous. And imagine being a Reds fan this morning. Imagine being Joey Votto this morning. Can you imagine? Joey Votto is not on Cincinnati Sports Talk Radio, the Joe that they're talking about this morning. I don't know. They might be because they love Joey Votto there. He's one of their guys, will be forever. And I can imagine that Reds fans are furious today because Joey Votto deserves more than this. He does. But if you're in Cincinnati, are you talking Joey Votto or Joey Burrow? You might be talking Joey Votto for a segment today, and then you're talking Joey Burrow. How outrageous is that? You're right. That that team has disassembled so quickly. And they went from a team that literally two days ago, we thought, okay, well, they're middle of the pack. If everything goes perfectly for them, they could do something to the Pirates. And here they go. They just piece by piece started breaking it apart. Yeah. It's awful. And they still might trade Castillo, by the way. But you trade Winker, you trade Suarez, you get rid of Gray, you get rid of Miley, you get rid of uh, Nick Castellanos, who they aren't going to re-sign. Think about the Cardinals doing that. Think about the Cardinals getting rid of Wainwright and Flaherty. Well, Wainwright would be the Votto in this scenario, right? He would be the last guy standing, the heritage guy. Yeah, so you'd probably get rid of... Flaherty and Bader, Michaelis. Yeah, you you get rid of O'Neill. Yeah, and you wouldn't add anybody. I'm trying to think. You know what my wish is for Joey Votto is that he would have a Matt Stafford type situation where even though he's been in an organization for a long time and been a good soldier, that at the end of his career, he would get the opportunity to go somewhere and at least have the chance to win. Because he deserves that. He's one of the great stewards of baseball. Mm-hmm. He's been an unbelievable player. He's he's now remade himself and is playing at a high level again. I just would love to see him finish out his career in a place where he has a chance to win rather than wasting away yeah. in Cincinnati with a franchise who clearly has no intention of going for it at all. Think about the pride that he showed last year when he was hurt and they came in here and swept. And then he went back to Cincinnati and trash-talked the Cardinals. I love it. And... He he is just such a great red. And I wonder if he has kind of lost patience now because they had a pretty good team last couple of mm-hmm. years. And now they aren't good. I, I wonder if a guy like that at the age of 37, 38 loses patience and says, I'm done with this. I want to go somewhere else. What was the year? twenty? The pandemic has kind of skewed my 20, timeline. 2020 was the year that they were supposed to really be good yes, and go for yeah. it. And then it just didn't pan out. Remember, we couldn't figure out what was going on with them. We were trying to diagnose it. But that was the year that they had really pushed in all the chips and it just didn't pan out for them, but you kind of had to know for the Reds that that was going to be your window to win, and unfortunately the results just weren't there, but I just hate this for Joey Votto. As as a big fan of his, as a player, as a person, I hate that he's going to be in baseball purgatory. And one last quick note. I was worried when Bob Castellini took over the Reds as their owner because he had been here as part of Bill DeWitt's original ownership group, and I thought, oh, they're going to use the same template that they're using here in St. Louis, but they obviously have not. Uh, Matt Rocchio, did we get a winner, by the way, for our uh, $50 gift card for Ballpark Village? We were 
we're taking the best take it or leave it this morning, and uh, we, we were looking for, uh, I think we got a great one. We did. In fact, I missed this one in the original run of text. I apologize, but our winner today was going to be take it or leave it. Carlos identifies a new favorite gentleman's club in San Francisco by opening day. I'll take that. Carlos is in Carlos Martinez. Yes. Well, that's what you do when you move to a new city is you find all your favorite spots. So yeah. I imagine that's high on his to-do list. And who Tsunami did? with a classy departure on the social media. Very too. classy, yes. Who, who finds who finds their preferred club quicker in a new city? Carlos Martinez James or Harden. James Harden? James Harden. No oh, doubt about it. I don't even think that's a conversation. Yeah, he already knows every spot in the country. James Harden has a Rolodex. He knows where he's going. Yeah, he sure does. No matter what city he's in. Great job by our producer engineer, the one and only Matthew Rocchio. Thank you, sir pleasure. Michelle, this was fun on a Tuesday. Guess what tomorrow is? I'll see you on hump day, Randy. Okay. <laughs> We've got a great balloon party coming up with Tim McKernan and Action Jackson. They're going to talk some NBA, I'm sure. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.